Let us join together in a moment of prayer. Our gracious and loving Father in heaven, as we come before thee this evening hour, we do so with hearts full of thankfulness that we have been called together here this evening into thy presence in the name that is above every name, the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that gift that you have given unto us in the person of thy Son, that one who took upon himself all the sins of mankind, the one who has redeemed us from that curse that Satan put upon mankind there with the fall of Adam and Eve. Father, we thank you that through the merits of thy Son, Jesus, we are made acceptable in thy sight. Father, we thank you and praise you for this. We thank you for our natural blessings, of which we have many. And we thank you, Father, for safe travel, for our visiting friends that have come to minister the word unto us this evening and throughout the next days. And Father, we ask your blessing, your continued blessing upon us as we gather through these days. We ask this in Jesus' name. Now let us join together in that prayer which you have taught us to say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Continue with Psalm 348.
Good evening and God's peace to all of you this evening. Greetings to, to everyone here from Lakewood Congregation. I meant to say that the greetings already began over a week ago for me, to me to convey to all of you their special greetings from some special people to you also. But don't ask me to remember who they were. There's a couple that I have remembered. Back in 1965, on the way back from the Detroit Convention, Southfield, Michigan Convention, my Volkswagen Carmen Ghia broke down totally in Eastern Oregon. I was with Eddie Bergman and Cliff Moltanen. And God had blessed those services to me, and the kingdom of God opened up to me in a very, very special way. I was 19 years old at that time. And when that car broke down at 2 o'clock in the morning, there were three of us, and we decided to split up. Eddie and, and Cliff got rides right away. I think I spent about five hours waiting for a ride. But I didn't mind. That evening I sang, that night, into early morning I sang, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. All the words that I knew over and over again. This evening I have chosen for our text from the first chapter of James, and I will read from verse 13 through 25 in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. But when lust has, then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls." But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For behold, he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Amen. First, before we attempt to prayerfully go into this text, I want to say thank you for inviting me and my wife to come here and to be with you. It's been 10 years. In 1999, you invited me, and I was here, and in 1989, you invited me, and I was here. 
It's wonderful to be with, with you all, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm so thankful to be able to see you, and I'm so thankful to see my dear friend, Brother Dick. He and I have been close friends for many years, haven't we? Yeah. We have spent countless hours on the phone in fellowship, in discussion. He usually rebuking me for something. But that's okay. I had a lot of respect for him. Oh, I don't know if there was so much rebuke. We just shared the gospel together and discussed the word and discussed many things together. I rejoice in the fellowship that I remember from here, days past. I rejoice in the rich history of the Sylvan Lake congregation that goes back generations. And I rejoice this evening that I can be here and because of the heritage that we have, we can now look forward and continue to look to the future. Or as the Lord Jesus told Peter, to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. Meaning, follow him, go forward, look ahead, follow the way that he leads, and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And then he, Paul says, you can forget about the flesh. Because he says it this way, have no confidence in the flesh. None. Paul says that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but who is it? that lives in us, Christ Jesus. And therein is our righteousness and our glory, our peace and our rest. There's our joy. There's our rejoicing. As Paul writes to the Philippians 21 times, in that short epistle, he directs us to rejoice in Christ Jesus. And you know where he wrote that epistle from. You know where he was, don't you? He was in prison, the Roman prison. And he doesn't even refer to being in prison, except to say, the Praetorian guard greets you. That means the Roman soldiers who have been converted greet all of you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And of course you know why he's telling children of God to rejoice. In affliction we become far more farsighted than when we have no trial or affliction. And while I'm here, I'm probably going to look at Dick many times during these services. We're all on our way to heaven, but oh how rich the journey is for us while we are on the way that leads to heaven. How rich we are in Christ Jesus. James, writing, refers to the children of God as brethren. Over and over again, I have written here in my, on top of the page, brethren, 15 times. They weren't afraid to call the children of God their brethren. The Apostle Paul, when he says he's the least among saints, I believe he meant that. And therefore, it's so easy to call the children of God our brothers and sisters, all of them, 
Every one of them are our brothers and sisters. My brother Henry Soda in Lake Worth calls me almost every day. And he spends two minutes or less on the phone. And he will often say, when I am weak, then am I strong. And he says, isn't it wonderful when we are the children of God? We, through Christ Jesus, can fight and battle for one another. We encourage one another, uplift one another, sometimes reprove one another. James here, speaking to the brothers in Christ and the brethren, are all come down through the corridors of time even until we now have met this evening. These are the brethren that he also is referring to. Generically, all of us are brethren. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Sometimes we can be that, that bitter in our difficulty, in our trials, and become so discouraged. And temptations draw so close unto us, and we know how vulnerable we are to temptation. And we hurt and we fall. And then we say, why God? Why could you not have done things differently? Why, dear Lord, did you not provide a way for me that I would not have had to face the temptation that I now have been wounded by? And the Lord kindly and graciously speaks unto us. What's wrong with the creator of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you couldn't depend on him to keep you from temptation? What's wrong with your Lord and Savior who gave his life for you? On the cross shed his blood to atone for you and has given you all the rich benefit of atonement that we can't even begin to number. And we are buried with Him and we are raised again from the dead with Him. And we have also, by the way, been seated already with Him in glory. We're here in this world but through Christ Jesus, the promises are absolute, unchangeable, steadfast, and eternal. He has said, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, and you are with me forever. So therefore, God really hasn't failed us at all, even though Adam said that he did. But God hasn't. But the problem is, is that Adam looked to the woman, his wife, and wasn't the spiritual leader in his household to neither look to Christ nor to direct his wife to Christ Jesus, the strength, source of all power, the one who keeps and guards us so that we wouldn't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as God has forbidden Adam and Eve that they wouldn't eat from that tree in their day, God today also forbids us from eating of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
but rather eat from what tree? Do you remember that other tree in the garden? It's called the tree of life, exactly. That tree we can eat from all day and all night. And that tree gives us spiritual health. The fruit of that tree gives us spiritual vision and eyes to see. It gives us strength through this journey. The tree of life gives us the spiritual health so that we can also experience what the children of Israel did in the wilderness 40 years, not one of them. Not one of them ever experienced a moment of illness. That's the way it is when we are in Christ Jesus. God does not fail. Isn't it amazing? We look at the things of this natural life, and they fail us, and then we say, God failed us. God says that you will look to your to the natural, the physical, secular things, your own wisdom, all your effort and sincerity, and it fails you. God says, it will always fail you, but I never will fail you. Never. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. <clears throat> the lust is awakened within us, and the enticement which is outside of us draws us unto the lusts that are within us. All the sin and evil that we look at in the world and we think about our young people and the children, oh, what they have to face as time goes on. I am just thankful that I don't have many years left and I can go and be with the Lord in heaven. But all oh, the young people, they have to face. Do you realize what you're saying to them? You're saying that the times are going to be more evil than the human heart is today. It's not the flaming temptations along the streets of Sylvan Lake that's the problem. Where is the problem? Where have we found that it's always been in the human heart? And it's just waiting to happen in every one of us. Luther never experienced such temptation as when he was in solitary in the monastery. He nearly died fighting temptation there. Dear friends, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of what? Whose lust? The ones walking on the street, their lusts. Whose lust? Our own. My own lust. Nobody else's. I'm drawn away. So how do we deal with it? Spend time with Christ. Walk with Him. Cling to Him through faith. Live with Him night and day. You know He is a living person, don't you? Of course you do. You know this as well and better than I do, I'm sure. Christ Jesus. And the 15th chapter of John and the 2nd chapter of Colossians tells us that you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three of them here this evening. 
This is his tabernacle. This is where he loves to live, right here among us. When he says, then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Isn't that wonderful to know? That it is not when we have fallen into sin that we die. Somebody would like to lead you to believe that. That when you fall into sin, you're dead. You're hopelessly lost. You need to be born again or converted. If you should die there, you will not go to heaven. That's not what James says. James says when sin is finished, it brings forth death. We walk with sin, unrepentant, uncaring. Sin begins to harden the conscience. Sin then begins to darken the way so that we are not seeing the Lord Jesus very good. And sin continues to have His erosive, deteriorating, killing and deadening effect. And eventually, we die. But it does not happen when we fall. Don't let anybody lead you to think you do. Because I would have to say, and I think you would agree with me, And my dear friend, Brother Richard, who I know so well and we've spent so much time together over the years, would also say that neither he nor I would be a Christian here tonight if we would die as a result of sin that we fall into. Today we have fallen into sin and they have been many. Would you agree We have fallen into many sins today. Now, I know there are those who try to keep a record of the sins that they haven't fallen into, and it frightens them to think or even suggest that they might have fallen into some sin today. But may I say to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you have fallen into many sins today as I have. But we glory in Christ Jesus. We know the strength of the cross of Christ, where Jesus Christ has brought death unto the flesh, where sin is atoned for, and fallen human nature, original sin, what we are, is crucified with Christ. Sin is condemned in the flesh. My sin, that I am by nature, is not forgiven. It's condemned. God doesn't want anything to do with your human nature or mine. Nothing. Don't even work on it. Reckon ye yourselves even dead unto sin. Dead, but alive through Jesus Christ unto God. We have a Christian portion. Don't confuse it with the non-Christian portion. In us. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Now he's going to speak of another error, a big, huge error that is so easily made. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 
When we fall into sin, it pains us, doesn't it? It pains us within. It hurts. And my thoughts always seem to go, how long will it be before I recover from this? How long do I have to live with the effect of this? And there's a warfare that ensues within me. And the Holy Spirit speaks and says, unto me, unto you. It doesn't have to be long till you recover from your sin. In fact, at this moment, I will raise you up and deliver you from all your sin. How? I wash you. Oh, you know you're forgiven. But are you washed? Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And when we are washed, oh, how pleasant the cleansing is. Am I right? The cleansing is so spiritually refreshing. That's why the Bible tells us to put off anger, wrath, malice, filthy communication from your mouth. You know, the sewer mouth that we have. How we talk sometimes to our kids as parents, fathers, husbands, and wives. Paul says, put off. That means now. And when we do it, Oh, the cleansing and the healing that takes place immediately. And we look back and we marvel, why did I even doubt that somehow I would have to fight and labor to try to earn this peace again or somehow contribute unto Christ Jesus so that I might again have peace and that I might have joy. And the experience that follows, the joy, the faith, and I emphasize faith, the faith that follows, the confidence that God gives us of His wonderful presence and His love for us who stumble and fall so frequently. But the faith and the confidence that He gives is such an overflowing confidence and faith that we want to share now Christ Jesus with others, with our brothers and sisters, and with others in Christ Jesus. Because that is the character of the work, the power of the work, the grace of the work of Jesus Christ. Don't err, my beloved brethren. This is the gift. The gift of God is never earned. And it wouldn't be a gift anymore. The gift of God is great, and it is with us always. And the gift of God is who? Christ Jesus. That's the gift of God. Do not err, my beloved brethren, Christ Jesus is the perfect gift from above. Christ Jesus comes down from the Father of truth. The word lights here, a Jewish believer instantly knew what that meant. 
When they spoke of light, it meant the truth. And Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life. At this moment, he is for all of us the way, the truth, and the life. And I have come to give you joy and that you might have it abundantly. With whom is no variableness. There's no changing. The message of the cross, of the forgiveness of sins, there is no changing. Of that truth, if I may be free to say this evening, there is one way in which we see how this, the truth of the cross, and I don't want to use the word changes, but how it effectively increases in its meaning, Christ in his cross, in our behalf, to the glory of God, increases and grows in us. Christ Jesus is revealed more richly and deeply and more powerfully, greater grace than what we have known even in the past. And you know what that does for us? It changes us. It absolutely changes us. And it must change us. It's what Peter says as the process of growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's what the Lord explains in the 17th chapter of John that when we abide in Him, that means cling in Christ, submit to Him, walk with Him, remain in oneness with Him, then you will bear fruit. And you continue to do so, you will bear more fruit. And there's one more step. And you continue yet to walk with Christ, cling, submit to Him, abide in Him, trust in Him, learn of Him, and you will bear much fruit. Again, my friend calls me up and he says, Brother Anston, Jesus asks only one thing. And He is God, you know. And He asks one thing, abide in Him. And then everything else will follow. And then it says, of his own will, he begat, he gave new birth unto us. He did. Of his own will, think of the will of God. And how great is that will. He gave new birth unto us with the word of truth. We didn't give new birth. We don't give forgiveness of sins. We don't give anything. But we are the vessels that God uses. And God does the work of using us. He is in His word. James says, through the Word, referring to himself and all believers, we have been born again. We become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I don't know if you crop farmers... You're so experienced in your work, you don't have to even think about the first fruits. First fruit is when the crop farmer would, he would go and he would 
analyze his, his grain, whatever it may be, and he would bring in a small measure, just a little bit, enough to give absolute evidence of what is out there to be had in huge abundance. When you were filled with the love of God in Christ Jesus, you experienced the first fruits. I don't know how many thousand acres of different kinds of crops you all grow here, but the first fruit of that is about an arm's load full. And by that evidence, you know what's out there and the condition or the richness, the quality of it. You know what it is. You have received an arm's load. You have thousands of bushels out there that God wants you to partake of. That's yours. James says, we are a kind of first fruit in experiencing the grace of God in the resurrection, the life as those wheat fields is evidence of life. Am I right or wrong? The life is there. We experience the life of the presence of Christ as a first fruit. Oh, don't give up and simply say, that's all I am worthy of. God doesn't think in terms of you and me being worthy. He thinks in terms, and listen to this, in what brings glory to his own name. He thinks in terms of abundantly revealing unto us how much more there is for us to know in Christ Jesus. It's immeasurable. What does the Bible say? It says, where sin abounded, there does grace much more abound. The original text actually says that where sin abounded, it reaches a point, and that's it. It's enormous. But then the text says, the grace of God infinitely abounds. And who can tell me the end of infinity? Is there an end? No. You see, that's what goes beyond the first fruits. Paul speaks of the first fruits also. And Paul says, now let's go on from the first fruits and get to business and experience and grow in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wherefore, that is for this reason, in verse 19, you know this, my beloved brethren. You know this because of the abundant overflowing grace. My cup runs over. He says, please. He says, be slow to speak, slow to wrath, and quick to listen. Please, brothers, listen to the Word of God. 
The Bible says the word God himself speaks and he says, be still and know I am God. That tells me that God is telling me that, Unston, it's time for you to be quiet and let me now speak. Listen to what I have to say. Shut down the opposition of your reasoning that comes against the good word of God, the power of the gospel, the gospel which is living and powerful, which draws us to come boldly to the throne of grace and the altar of mercy that we may obtain help in the time of need. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, except in older people, my age. I have earned the right to be angry whenever I choose to be, right? Brother Dick's shaking his head again. He doesn't often agree with me. But isn't that human pride? I remember John Rickon and John Rickon and uh, there's some of us here that remember him. I was a young fellow and he used the term Christian father. He was talking to the Christian fathers. You remember he used to talk to the parents a lot in his sermons. He talked to moms, talked to dads, and he talks to talked to the young people. He talked to the little children when he preached. But sometimes you refer to us dads as self-righteous. And I didn't appreciate that too much. But he said, because we can be so quick to say what we think to our children, and we say it in just about any way we choose to, and we don't think even about how we hurt the children. And least of all, we think about asking forgiveness from them. They'll get over it. Right? Wherefore, verse 21, lay apart filthiness, the overflowing of wickedness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. The word of God is so great. It saves our souls. The word of God washes and cleanses. The word, this established word, the engrafted word, engrafted word in the rock, which is Christ Jesus, that stone of Christ himself. The Word is engrafted in him. Receive now with meekness, dear dads, moms, young people, pastors, preachers, Lord, help preachers to know how to ask forgiveness and acknowledge that I was wrong. Receive with meekness. And the word meekness means that to believe that word that's spoken to you because meekness means teachable. It means that a proud man has been broken and he is now teachable. Receive the Word of God. Believe the Word of God. And you are washed and you're cleansed. Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his 
natural face in a mirror. Most of us do spend enough time in the mirror. And we look very close at ourselves, and we do have some imperfections that bothers us quite a bit. And we try to deal with it. But this is only external, James says. We look at ourselves in our, our external appearance, our outward features, and we deal with them. Because sometimes as Christian people, we also are led to think that, well, it's the, I have to be careful about how I look and how I appear unto people. And God says that I agree with you. But this is how it's done. Whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This is spiritual. This is not trying to deal with the sin problem in an outward, external, visible way, but this is dealing with it from the heart. For the perfect law of liberty, again, is who? It's Christ Jesus so we turn to the Word of God, and we spend time in the Word, and we pray, Lord, reveal Yourself unto the Word. Lord, change me. Help me there, Lord, to live the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. In the beginning, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He's only asking one thing. He says, submit yourself to the Lord. He's not saying anything complicated here. He is simply saying, yield yourself unto the Lord. And then he says, be not conformed to this world. That's by the outward pressure of the world's temptations and their ideals and their system that appeals to the lust of our heart. Don't follow that way, but be transformed. What's the difference between the two terms, conformed and transformed? Conformed is our effort. Transformed, only the living God can do that, right? I remember years ago, I had a discussion with Thomas Pautari. Some of you remember him from Finland. He was a a pastor, state church, but he's been to America many times. We've had him here as a preacher. And he has studied Greek, and I asked him, I says, what does that word transformed mean? Looked it up right away. Said it means metamorphosis. Changes like a caterpillar into a butterfly. And when a Christian is transformed, the evident change is as clear to us as is the change of a caterpillar into a butterfly. There is no similarity, is there? None. It's the same thing with a Christian. Be transformed. How? Submit, as he began that 12th chapter, submission unto the living God. Human effort will frustrate you. 
But when the Lord Jesus can do the work, he does it when we look into the perfect law of liberty. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He who looks into the gospel. How do we look? By faith. The eyes of faith. Through the work of the Holy Spirit. Look into the word of God. Spend time prayerfully in the word of God. You are now looking into liberty. Liberty from the power of sin. Being set free from slavery, captivity, the control of sin. The power of the Word of God does more than that, much more than that. It draws us deeper into Christ Jesus. That's what God does. We don't. We can't. You and I will experience that once we stop trying. Once human effort is laid aside. But that will only come when we finally despair of ourselves. And when we reach that point that the Apostle Paul writes of in the seventh chapter of Romans, and you remember the conclusion to after he said, the evil that I would not, that I do, and the good that I would, that I do not. And, and what was the final conclusion? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, wretched man. Oh, there are many who are somehow trying to temper this wretched man. Many who are trying to tame this wild animal, this sinful nature. Don't try. Crucify it. Let it die. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering made conformable unto, unto his death. His death. Dear Lord, what does it mean for me to die in your death? Oh, Lord, show me what you mean by the power of your resurrection. Oh, Lord, fellowship with your suffering being made conformable. Submission unto his death. Lord, what does that mean? We look into the gospel. The Bible tells us that the Word of God, Paul writes to the Romans in the first chapter. Oh, he writes it. It's everywhere in the Bible. The Word of God is the presentation, it's the manifestation. It is the power of God. It's the revelation of the one who has overcome death, hell, and the devil. Who has destroyed the power of Satan. He has fulfilled the Genesis 3.15. He has crushed the head of the serpent. He is the one as... In the second chapter of Hebrews, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Christ, also himself likewise took part of flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him. Now who did Christ Jesus destroy? That's what it says. 
destroyed Jesus Christ. When did he do it? He did it in the day of the cross. And the resurrection is the evidence that he did it. That's why the Bible tells us the mystery of God is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Amen. Dear gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may your word live in us. Help us, Lord, that we may submit ourselves unto the perfect law of liberty, unto the perfect liberty. Liberty to live the Christian life of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.